0: In three, two, one,
4: we are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless.
0: Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel.
3: Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air, and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have anywhere. We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call
0: 818 96 96 96.
3: Extra WhatsApp 83 396 96. 96, 96, 96.
0: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
3: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the conversation.
3: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
5: on Cork's 96FM. Good. <clears throat> Good morning, Fiona, in for PJ today. We decided to let him off and rest the vocal cords for today and tomorrow. PJ has been really suffering this week. So I'll be sitting in with you for today and tomorrow. And coming up on today's show, we'll be talking about how rising inflation rates are affecting your mortgages, how an obsession with healthy eating could be damaging our children, festival fashion, and getting your feet ready for summertime. And I'll be giving away another pair of tickets to Riverdance at the Marquee. And of course First, the big story of the last 24 hours is the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and we will be coming to that in a few minutes but first I want to talk to Green Party Councillor Oliver Moran about his plan for a bicycle lift at York Street in the city. Good morning Oliver
2: if Morning know how are you doing?
5: I'm very well. Oliver, uh, I was reading about this last night and although it uh, sounds like a good idea, is it really what we need? I mean, we're supposed to be, I suppose the whole idea behind cycling is to encourage people to get on their bike, get healthy, move more. So does this kind of defeat the purpose?
2: Well, look, I suppose just to give a little bit of context to it first. So um, I was actually on to, to PJ a couple of weeks ago about this, the same thing. Um, so as you as you know and your, your listeners probably know uh the national transport authority are looking to introduce a whole new bus system for cork mm. uh corner bus connects um and as part of that they have 12 priority corridors uh which they will very shortly be going for public consultation on and trying to get people's opinions on that and and they'll be they'll be changing the priority of buses compared to cars or most on on these 12 corridors but they're also looking at alternative routes for cycling, because for example going up summer hill they they would prefer obviously not to have uh, cyclists in front of the buses, so that the buses have free run. So they they were looking at alternative routes to get up to the the north side. Mm. Um, and the route which they looked at because it makes sense on the map is to go from Mary Ellen's Bridge, Harley Street, York Street, and Wellington Road. It makes absolute sense until you hit York Street, uh, and you realise it's one of the steepest hills in Cork. Mm. So it, it York. I've, as, as you can imagine, there, there's a lot of discussions going on between city councillors and the NTA at the minute about this. And, and this was an example of how the NTA really need to kind of get on the ground and kind of see the, the geography of the place and, and understand this. And I fail to sue them, they've gotten back and, and they will do. But, in, in in the meantime, this was a, a suggestion that emerged to handle the, the, the issue of, of York Street, if it were to do that.
5: And Oliver, speaking of being on the ground, you're obviously on the ground in your own constituency and are speaking to a lot of people on a daily basis. And have people said to you that the reason why they're not cycling um, as much as they should be is because of the steep hills in Cork City?
2: Oh, look, I mean... The, the idea of a bike lift is something that has been said to me for at least ten years. Uh, now, normally, uh, it, it's Patrick's Hill is it's where mm. people talk about because it's it, you know it's, it's an obvious kind of hill you you, yeah. you you know you see, but it's not actually when you cycle up a lot. I mean, you know, you, you or even even walk up because it's you know you know you, you end at orderly an Place and then where do you go you go you know left or right to, to all the Old Road. It's it, it's not a route to to access the the, the main places in in the northeast ward. Um, so it, it was it was when this suggestion there of York Street came up that actually that does seem like a sensible place for a bike lift. Just to give uh, your listeners an idea of what a bike lift is. Yeah, that's what there, I was going to ask you. Can you
5: just tell us what exactly yeah.
2: it is? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it certainly sounds like a wacky idea. Mm. Um, and look, in in some ways, throwing this out there as a kind of a as a way to, to kickstart a, a discussion too on you know how how we go about accessing the the north side and the hills and all that with when, with when cycling. Um, so. That route is, is something which I would cycle on an electric bike. It is a good route. Uh, but if you're on a pedal cycle, as you can imagine, you hit that hill um, and you know you, there, there's no way you could cycle up it or most people couldn't. So they've had, obviously, other places in the world that have had the same problem. Um, and a, a city called uh, Trondheim in Norway, they have a very famous example of, of a bike lift. Um, and have you and used that is, bike it's, lift it's, in, Norway? It's, it's, in Norway? No, I haven't. But I've, se- I've seen videos. I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen, I've seen videos of it. Um, and it, it runs alongside of the road. It's um, it's you, you, you start off at the bottom. You put your your foot into, into a kind of a, a holster. Uh, originally it's coin operated. Now it's it's free. You, just, you push a button, and and it pushes you up up the hill using your while you're still sitting on on the um on the bike. Now there's other examples too in France and in Japan, where you you step off, off your bike. You put your bike into a kind of a sort of a, a grip and, a, mm-hmm. and it, it pushes the bike up while, while you walk alongside it. So it makes it easier to push it up the hill. Someone um, wants to know, so,
5: Oliver, does this mean that the problem of cyclists holding up traffic in Summer Hill North would be solved too then as as a result of this bike lift?
2: Well, look, That that is certainly why the NCA are looking at, at alternative routes to, to, to get to the, the north side. Um, like right now, I look, when, when I started cycling up uh, to where I live at the top of Gardner's Hill, um, I tried every route possible, and that was before I had an electric bike. Hmm. Um, and some, Summer Hill was simply the easiest way to get up. Um, now, now that I have the electric bike, there's more options open to me, and I, I very often do go York Street now and um, along Wellington Road, and it's a lot quieter. And you know that that has benefits for motorists, It has, it has benefits for public transport, which the NTA is looking at, It has benefits for for, for cyclists as well. Um, so you know. Being able to open up these alternative routes, there's benefits for everyone in them.
5: I remember when they launched the electric bikes here in Cork and I joined the then uh, Lord Mayor, was Tony Fitzgerald, um, on a on a cycle up Patrick's Hill on the electric bikes. <laughs> How, you have one yourself and you said that it's good. Are many people using them? Like, Are they expensive? Have people bought into the whole idea of electric bikes?
2: It's 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 certainly it's it's ballooning, right? Um like COVID would have would have, you know, it, it injected a lot of interest uh, into bicycles to be able to, but electric bikes too. They kind of just, just hit at at a peak there. Um and look you'd see they're proliferating around the city, particularly around around, you know, delivery drivers and delivery cyclists. Um, you know, it, it's it's you know, electric bike is the, the bike of choice. For me, honestly, it, it it fits somewhere between a bike and a car. Mm. Um like I, I, I look. I, I, I'm a motorist too. Like, like, I suppose nearly everybody else is. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got, I, I, got a new, I got, got a new, um, bought a new car. at the same time that I bought, bought the electric bike. Um, I would say I used the electric bike more than the car now. Yeah, um, and our and own it, Rob Allen here at
5: 96 FM. Like he uses one, and he's always talking about it. He says it's yeah. great. Um, were there any like when you first started using it? Were you surprised by it? Was there anything that you found that you weren't expecting?
2: Uh, um, yeah, don't go, don't go downhill on Valley Road at full speed. Yeah, that that was certainly a, a lesson. Why are
5: they I hard learned. to to stop? Um,
2: then, would <laughs> you go? It's just, it was my first time, honest. You know, it was quite a surprise just how fast you can go. Um, so, <laughs> look,
5: it, it, don't tell me there was a crash at the uh, end of the hill, was there?
2: <laughs> I, I had to take some invasive maneuvers anyway, but I, you know, luckily there, there was nobody else involved, only only my dignity. Um, but look, it it it. It's, it takes a little bit of kind of getting used to in terms of look, it's, it's cycling a bicycle but mm. you have that extra you have that extra oomph uh for when you want to go uphill um, and it's it getting used to kind of you know, when you want to apply that because you know on the bikes there's kind of there's settings to say how much how much mm. energy you want to put in.
5: Coming back to the bike lift, Oliver, um, you know, is it an expensive thing to install in the city here? Because I was looking this morning, I was walking into work as I always do along McCurtain Street, and there's a lot of footpaths in the city that really are in bad repair. There's a lot of the paving yeah. slabs that are uneven, and some of them are lifting. I nearly had a tumble myself there yeah. recently on one of them, and I know there are many people who have had actual falls and we've taken calls here from people who've said that they, you know, people who have maybe limited abilities that they're afraid to commit to the city. Yeah. So should we not be spending on our money on something like that first, get the basics right in the city before we start installing something like a bike lift?
2: Yeah, look, it's a good question. And look, people always ask this, this, this question for an awful lot of what local authorities in Ireland can do is determined by what funding opportunities there are there from 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 central government mm. so this suggestion of, of a bike lift and look it it's a suggestion at this stage it's 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 you know the NCA have said you know that they would be interested in ha- having people using York, York street for cycling and they'll put this into the mix as part of that so the, the the context of this is that there is money here now as part of bus connects for cycling and for public transport uh mm. now what you said about uh, footpaths I fully agree with uh, there's been a, a big um, you know as part of the Green Party being in government there's, there's a, a million uh, euros a day being spent on active travel which in, includes footpaths um, and here in northeast ward look for the last two years um, every of the five wards in the city we've, we've had a budget of between 250,000 euro and, and 350,000 euro and um, not huge budgets, but one thing I'm I'm very proud of my six ward councillors here in the North East Ward is that we've all agreed um, some of that money has to go on repairing footpaths and upkeeping that. You know, whereas other wards, you know, they they, they put it all on the, on the roads, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, because look, the furry first, no matter how you travel, whether you go by bike, whether you go by 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 bus, or whether you go by by car, every journey begins and ends on a footpath, um, and that's that is like you said, that's that's the basics. So keeping those repaired. Um, I, I think is, is a priority too.
5: Indeed, and maybe other wards could uh, follow suit as well. Now, Oliver, your proposal um, has been um, backed by Services Director Jerry O'Byrne. He said that they are going to look at it and if feasible, they could consider it. So what happens now? You just have to sit and wait, is it? <laughs>
2: Um, well, I, I was also very heartened by well, as soon as I put it up, um, the, the traders on, on Curtain Street uh, said it, w- it would be something that they'd be they'd be happy to look into as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's great to have that kind of support because what the the example from Norway, um, like it, it, it serves an awful lot of purposes. One, it's for for it has its practical purpose of people getting up and down the hill uh, that it that it's on, uh, but also it's become a tourist attraction in its own right, um, and and. I think it would be kind of, it would really fit in the kind of the, the mix of things that there are around McCurtain Street, you know, uh, from from that perspective. Where it goes after this, um, actually, it's, it's this is something very important now for your listeners to be, to be aware of, because over the next coming weeks, um, a, the the conversation on bus Connect Corks is really going to uh, ramp up. Uh, so this month we're expecting to have uh, the proposed new bus routes. Uh, for the entire city. Um, and these are really, really radical changes for the for the bus routes across the entire city. Um, so no matter how you travel by public transport in the city, you, you, you should be conscious that there's proposals to change basically every route. Mm. Um, and then uh, uh, pretty much alongside that at the same time, also in the next couple of weeks, there'll be the first uh, proposals for what to do around these 12 priority corridors in the city. Um, so the idea with these is to... Uh, in a lot of cases, reallocating the, the road space that's there in order to give uh, uh, public transport priority over other over over traffic um, and, and ways of doing that. Um, okay. And look, that's, that, that's going to be a, a conversation over the next six months. And in fairness to the NCA, they, they, they've they suggested that they will be organising uh, community forums along all of these routes so the residents uh, can have their input and that, that conversation is going to be happening over the next six months.
5: And so, Oliver, if people do want to make an input into that, what, what do they do? What like Is there a place where they need to go to make their opinions I'd known?
2: I'd say right now, um, if anyone's interested, go, g- Google Bus Connects Court. Uh, and there's there's a, a web page with, with all of the, the current information on there about these 12 priority corridors, uh, a map of of the currently suggested uh, updated bus routes, um, and then over the, the the next six months, if you're along one of these corridors, look, you're you're going to be contacted by the NTA. That's what they said to us, mm. um, and the, you know they, they will be. Um, Organising community forums where, where people will be able to to input in them. If you're not part of the community forum, if you want to if you want to contribute on, on, online, th- there will be you know uh, public consultations as well where you can give your input. And in fact, the, the response to this idea of a of a of a bike lift on York Street, really, it was in that context that look. This is this this conversation is going to be happening over the next six months. If anyone has an idea about how to improve one of these routes, I mean, my thing was okay. York Street is a great street, but how do you get up it? You know, a, a bike lift was 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 yeah, suggested amid that, and then it's the same for everybody else. Over the next six months, look at these routes, see if you have suggestions for for how they can be improved. If they're good, if they're bad, whatever.
5: Great stuff. That's Green Party um, Councillor Oliver Moore and thank you for joining us on the opinion line this morning. And if our listeners are in favor of a bicycle lift or if you have any opinion on a bicycle lift, is it something that we need in the city? Would it encourage you to leave the car at home and get on your bike? You can let us know 0818969696 96 96, or you can text or WhatsApp 0833969696. 96
3: 96. Can we just talk Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
5: With the Cork City Marathon.
0: Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk?
3: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818
0: 96
3: On Courts 96 FM
5: Now before the break I was speaking to Green Party Councillor Oliver Moran about putting a bicycle lift on York Street and someone has been in touch to say people have been walking up and down York Street for centuries. Have this generation gotten that soft? Let us know what you think. Do you think it is a soft idea? Do you think it's a mad idea to have a bicycle lift or do you think that it would encourage more people to cycle in the city? Let us know. 0818 1896969696 or text or whatsapp 0833969696. Now everybody has been watching for the last couple of weeks the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and it all came to an end yesterday evening and Shirley Donovan joins me now to talk about it. Shirley good morning. Morning, Fiona. Shirley, six weeks of evidence and 13 hours of jury deliberation. It had everybody gripped in the country. What do you think it was about this trial that had everyone so gripped?
6: I think probably because it was really played out on a public forum. I mean, obviously, going back to 2018, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard had a libel trial in the UK. But because of the the court laws in the UK, this trial wasn't broadcast to the public. But obviously in America, it's, you know, core TV is a very big thing over there. So this was played out very much in public and online and on social media. And it was being, it was, a, you know, it was a full stream, you know, live from the courtroom mm. every day. And I think that's what kind of hooked people into it as well.
5: And people were very divided. You were either team dep or team herd, weren't you? It was like, it was, especially on social media, there was a, a huge divide amongst people.
6: Yeah, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of argument and a lot of conflict, particularly on Twitter, where you'd have a lot of these kind of um, civil journalists, you know, people who take it upon themselves to kind of follow the story and report on it, but aren't affiliated to any kind of uh, news agency. So mm. you had an awful lot of conflict and argument going on. And I suppose, look, it's only natural, um, given the fact that it was a case that had domestic violence, sexual mm. assault, you know, um, um, addiction, you know, it had everything that would cause a lot of, uh, stir up a lot of drama online as well, you know.
5: Now, Johnny Depp, of course, won the defamation case. Um, He was awarded 15 million euro, but Amber Heard also won um one of her counterclaims and she received 2 million euro. So they both walked away with uh, a lot of money at the end of it all. Well, they
6: did. So he had, he had alleged three counts of defamation as had she Um. She was found liable on all three counts and he was found liable on one count. So he was awarded $10 million in compensatory damages and then $5 million in punitive damages. Mm. But because of the laws in Virginia, he'll actually only get 350000 of the punitive damages. She was awarded, uh, she was, um, Johnny Depp was found liable on one count against her and was as a result, has to pay her two million, but she was awarded a zero on punitive damages. So, he, there's a lot of money going to change hands here, and they've both been found guilty. Like this is the thing. I think there's this spin online of you know Johnny Depp has won his defamation case, and yes, he has. He has you know, it's been found in his favour in three of his counts, but also it's been found against him on one count, you know.
7: Mm.
5: And even though she was awarded two million, there are, people are saying that it's going to bankrupt her.
6: Well, I mean, I think it could easily bankrupt her. I mean, she has seven million of a divorce settlement that she has pledged to two different charities that she has yet to pay. Um, She doesn't have any career as such anymore um, I think she's going to find it very difficult to get work mm. um, so coming up with 2 million is, is you know or coming up with the money to pay him I mean he's obviously probably going to knock the 2 million off her full settlement but this 100% is going to put her in a very very um, vulnerable financial position
5: Yeah, like they've both said that their careers are going to be damaged after this. Um, And, you know, without contradicting the court findings, her career especially is over, isn't it?
6: Her career is over, I would say, I would think. Now, there are rumours that she is doing a sort of a tell-all interview with an American news agency. So obviously the price on that is going to be very high, if if that is true. Um, But I can't see how his career is going to be Mm. Um, anything but stellar after this, because obviously really? his his. I, I th- listen. He's been on the stage in the Royal Albert Hall the last couple of nights to standing ovations and crowds cheering. So I think, you know, I think he'll be. Any director will be looking to sign him up to a project. I think it's it's, it's kind of one of these. It's almost the unfairness of it. Mm. It, it doesn't matter whose side you're on. There's no winners here, but. I think the way it's played out online, he's just garnered massive, massive support.
5: But even though he has, you know, there is um, he claimed victory in this in this case. Um, do you know? Do you think that there will be a stigma attached to him, and that directors may not want to have anything to do with him after this?
6: I think in in the kind of community in Hollywood, I think a lot of directors who've worked with him or had dealings with him previously, that's what they'll be going on. I think. This was almost like a media circus Mm. um, that I think a lot of people, I I can't, to be honest, I think somebody is going to sign him up because I think he's going to fill the cinemas. He's done with Pirates of the Caribbean. He's done with the Fantastic Beasts franchise. That's Mm. never going to come about, but somebody's going to sign him up for something. Yeah. And mark my words, he'll be, he will fill a cinema because just alone, I think, like, this is the toxic element of it and how it played out online. People will go to the cinema and buy a ticket just to support him to prove the point. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, and I think, you know, look, as I said before, like, there's no winners. This was an abusive relationship on both sides. They were mm. both physically abusive to each other. So, at the end of the day, you you are looking at this and you're sort of going, okay, who's less guilty? Yeah. Who's less... You know, it, it was a very... I think people had to confront a lot of that of like, you know, who do I believe? I want to believe her, but I really like him. And that's kind of how it played out online. For a lot of people, whether they believed him or not, they really liked him. Yeah. And was- he became... She became a very unlikable character and was portrayed as a very unlikable character. But that doesn't make her a liar. That doesn't make Mm. her... You know, not you know, not a victim. It just means that she's an unlikable person.
5: I mean, the trial itself—you're talking about you know TV shows and films and stuff. It it played out like a, a a drama, a TV drama, didn't it? Over the last couple of weeks, and I suppose American courts are very different from the courts that we have here. We were able to watch all of the drama unfold over the last couple of weeks, um, and you you were talking about what made this so appealing for yourself watching it, Shirley. Uh, you know. What was it about the whole case that appealed to you?
6: Well, I mean, I was following it out of interest. Like I remember, like, obviously when I was much younger watching the OJ Simpson trial Mm -hmm. online or on TV at the time and being hooked into it because this was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that. And when you watch something like this, whether you're watching it because you're a fan of, of Johnny Depp or you're a fan of Amber Heard or you are into, you know, watching crime on TV, what actually ends up happening is there's this ensemble cast of characters that, as you say, it becomes like it's playing out like a drama. So mm-hmm. you have you have um, you know, the lawyers on Amber Heard's side, you have Elaine um Elaine and and Uh, Johnny Rottenborn or whatever his name was and then you have Ben Chu and Camille Vasquez you have these um, colourful cast of witnesses that took the the stand as well Isaac Baruch uh, Dr. Shannon Curry so like you get invested in all of these people as much as you are in the actual case itself and I think that's kind of what draws people in and because the other side of it is we were watching it you know because of the time difference you were able to watch it in the evening yeah. So it's not like it was going on during the day and, you know, you're at work or, you know, like with the with the, Wagga the Christie thing that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, that was going on during the day while everyone was at work and you were catching up on it, you know, on, on news on your phone or whatever. But this was something that you could throw on and watch in the evening and keep an eye on it.
5: Yeah, that's it. And I suppose with this, and as you said, Wagget the Christie, do you think that there's a fascination here with uh, watching other families and how their lives are unfolding in front of us? I mean, like, do you know, we get amused by British people getting drawn in by the, the royal life, but do uh, you know, and we see it in soaps as well. Do we need to, is there a fascination with us here that we need to follow some sort of family drama?
6: Listen, are the Kardashians <laughs> not the proof of that? <laughs> this is it. <laughs> we, like, so this is just another category mm. of this. Rea- it's not. It's not reality TV because it's real life and it's court cases. But for people for a lot of people watching it, it, this is another branch of that form of entertainment. So if you're a Kardashian, Real Housewives, reality, Love Islander. Yeah, you're into that, that kind of neck of the woods. But if you are somebody who's into true crime and you listen to true crime podcasts and you watch, you know, you watch true crime miniseries on TV, this is right up your alley. And that is a huge in terms of um, TV, like uh, true crime and thriller a miniseries and, you know, documentaries, Making a Murderer, all of that. That is a huge, huge audience. And Core TV and all these channels have just tapped into that massively. And that's that's where the audience is coming from. Yeah, I was watching a live stream last night of the case with, uh, it was um, a US, she's a lawyer, but she started a YouTube channel and she's now got almost a million followers. There was something like 638,000 people watching her live stream last night waiting for the verdict. And that's just one. That's just one person, mm. you know. So I yeah. think you, when you look at it like this, the, the this case has had more social media interactions in the last six weeks online than COVID, than the situation in the Ukraine, than Elon Musk buying Twitter. Like
7: this <laughs> it's has kind been crazy, the
6: main thing. It? <laughs> it's been mental and there's yeah. been ten, maybe up to 10 different hashtags related to this trial trending every single day. Unreal,
5: Shirley. Thank you so much for joining us on the opinion line this morning. We'll wait for the next big case now to grip us all. Um, and of course, if anybody has been affected by any of the the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial, uh, you can always contact Women's Aid one eight hundred three four one nine hundred, and that phone line is operational twenty four seven. Men's Aid Ireland is oh one double five four three eight double one, and that's open Monday to Friday nine a.m. to five p.m or you can talk to the guards or your GP. And if anybody would like to let us know what they thought of the trial itself, like John here has been in touch to say, I didn't watch it. It was very voyeuristic. It's despicable. This couple loved each other at one stage to see how toxic it got. How could people watch it and get enjoyment? Do you agree with John? Let us know. 0818 96 96 96 or oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, if you have a new smartphone or tablet, then grab the must-have app so you can take us everywhere. Download the Corks 96FM app now and listen to your favourite shows on the go. And if you have a smart, smart speaker, remember you can ask it to play Corks 96FM. Corks 96FM is the home of even more music, choice, streaming online all the time. The Fit Mix plays the best tunes for your workout and Corks 96FM's Hit Mix brings you the freshest new music non-stop. Listen on your phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96 just in relation to the bike lift conversation that i had with councillor oliver Moran, who wants to put a bike lift on york street to help encourage people to get out of their cars and use the bikes and to try and navigate the steep hills of cork city finbar has been in touch to say it's a ridiculous idea fiona councillor john marr has said lower patrick's hill might be a more cost-effective option and on to wellington road to good to be talking about more options and always good to throw all ideas out there. Bus Connects, as vague as it is at present, will result in a lot of public consultation and Plan Bs. And Shane's been in touch to say brilliant idea. See the Lisbon lifts as a parallel example. Patrick's Hill would be a real tourist attraction. Do you agree with our, our callers there? Do you think it's a great idea? Or are you like Finbar and you think it's a ridiculous waste of money? You can let us know 0818 96 96 96, or you can text to WhatsApp 08 Three three ninety six 96 and if you want to get in touch with us about this or if you have any stories that you come across and you would like us to cover on the Opinion Line you can always be in, be in touch on email Opinion at 96fm.ie Can we just
0: talk
3: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96fm
0: with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo
5: or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie now, at this time of the year, there's always a lot of talk about preparing students for the Leaving Cert and the Junior Cert, but what about all of those adults who've decided to go back to studying, further education, and are now facing into exams, possibly for the first time in a very long time? Um, you know, it's it's a different experience, and it can be very daunting for a lot of people. Una Buckley, you're from Blossom for Life, and you talk to a lot of people about um, this and about exam tips for For people who are, you know, taking exams for the first time in a long time. Good morning, Una. Hi Fiona, thanks for having me. Una, for, for somebody who has, you know, they've, they've completed their education, they got into the workforce but they've decided now that they want to upskill or they want to improve on their qualifications and they've decided to go back to studying and they're facing into exams now. It can be very daunting because you know, they may have a lot of um, external factors like interruptions like kids and their work and you know, they're kind of taught, caught for time. So what kind of advice would you give to people around those whole areas?
8: Yeah, well, I suppose initially um, there, there's a lot of exam tips and strategies for, I suppose, all age groups. So it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily matter what, let's say, box you fall into. So myself, I'm a dyslexic assessor and specialist. So we primarily work with students of all ages with with different learning differences. So that brings extra challenges as well for, you know, adult learners that maybe are returning to education that also have a different way of learning. I suppose some common things to look out for really when you're, you know, building up or preparing, for example, or preparing for, you know, any, let's say, last minute hand-ins that are, are kind of due around now mm. is obviously, unfortunately, it's remembering the material, but then often getting the overwhelm and the anxiousness, you know, that doubt of do you actually know it? Can you then produce it in an exam setting where obviously there's time pressure and other factors involved? And then noticing often in the few days prior of material that you've covered and then actually getting kind of like let's the, these brain fogs or, or issues with actually producing it then on the day. So it's, you know, knowing you you kind of know the know the material already, yeah. but then having that, you know, sudden moment where you're like, oh, my God, I can't really remember. So I suppose we, we would split it generally into into four main cohorts to to help all students, really, if there's, you know, Leaving Cert or Junior Cert um, exams obviously happening. We have loads of secondary school kids at the moment still finishing off their exams. Mm. So the main aim is to work on a, things a few days prior the day before, the day of, and then after the exam. Okay. So they'd be your four main cohorts as you build up to things. Obviously, if you're a few months away, you know, we'd work on a different strategy. But as we're looming, let's say maybe ahead of exams or, you know, in the next few days, the aim is to, to develop a, as much of a framework the few days before, just the day before, the morning and then afterwards. So maybe we'll we'll talk about the few days before first and yes, try and please. come up with some strategies for that. So ideally, you know, the most proven method of retaining information, both short term and longer term, if they're conducted in the right way, is through alternative forms of memory. So either mind maps, either games, puzzles, you know, coloured sheets, flashcards, whatever way the, the student themselves, both an adult learner and also maybe somebody sitting their state exams, feels as best to retain information. Ideally, the, the most important thing is that's overlapped with, you know, breaks and movement. Our I, I concentration span, unfortunately, from recent research and studies shows it's generally around 25 minutes to, you know, just after half an hour okay. at the most. So it, it's still quite a
5: short time span. So what, what would you do? Sorry that, now for interrupting you, but you no problem. do your like intense study for 25, 30 minutes and then maybe get up and walk around the kitchen or go make a Pretty cup of tea much. or walk around your garden yeah. or whatever. Just take a little bit of a break after 25, 30 minutes.
8: Ideally, yes. So short bursts, let's say, instead of, you know, sitting down, facing it, doom and gloom for three hours. Mm. And, you know, half of that time is spent, you know, maybe doing something else or getting distracted or you'll find always something in the house to look at, particularly as obviously as adult learners. Oh, we'll just have to fix that there or I'll do the washing first and then we'll, you know, go start the study. And before you know it, half the day, unfortunately, is gone. And, you know, you get that guilt then and that overwhelm. So it's just about, I suppose, building into it that this is for a short space of time then we can do something else for a few minutes and then do another topic you know or take a longer break some students may be fine after five or ten minutes break and moving around or running up and down the stairs or whoever they need to do it others might need you know 15 20 minutes and then go back in for their next let's say session two but the aim is that it's not always you're staring at a book let's say you're staring mm-hmm. at notes for a considerable amount of time
5: And you mentioned flashcards and, you know, some people can be confused by them. So what exactly are they? How do they benefit somebody who is maybe revising, cramming now for an exam?
8: So flashcards are basically small, let's say pieces of paper, usually you know or maybe a quarter of an A4 page, and um, give or take, very easily to get either online or any in local stationeries. Ideally, what you want to go for is flashcards. So was the coloured versions. So right. traditionally, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago there was still white normal versions, but in the last maybe seven or eight years they come out with blocks now of multi-coloured. So you'll get maybe 30 or 40 at the top that might be pink. You'll get blue next. You'll get green, and the idea of that. That is that obviously you condense as much of the topics that you feel are going to come up into the exam into that format. So it's all short bullet point versions, no long sentences, maybe one or two short diagrams, Ideally, with as much space as possible, so you don't want to look at the flashcard and, you know, it's overwhelming that there's Mm. every section of the flashcard is filled. The idea is that, you know, maybe the morning of or a few minutes before the exam, you can take out your 15 or 20 flashcards and literally just scan through them. So it's literally it should be easy to visually, let's say, pick up the information.
5: Would it be? um, I suppose they're a good idea as well for um, somebody who may discover that they're in a bit of a panic because they've noticed material in their revision that they maybe had forgotten Mm -hmm. about or, you know, it was, you know, that they had said, you know what, I'll I'll come to that again and forgot to come to it. And now they're looking at it and they're saying, oh my God, I don't have time now to study all of this. Um, So would a flashcard then be good for that person in that situation?
8: Exactly, yeah. Flashcards are a mind map version. So obviously if you can take, you know, depending upon how close to the exam, let's say you discover this piece of information, ideally having a small window of time where you're just right, okay, we'll just need to condense this down to the basics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if if they go with the basics first, that will at least limit the overwhelm that they, you know, don't know anything. And then if there's more time to, you know, add on additional facts or if it's a longer question, then they can add more stuff into it. But it's just going what what are the basic facts first? Could these let's say be a short question or, you know, a smaller long question, and then fitting those into either a mind map or a flashcard version ideally then going back over to try and retain that before you then add more information or more knowledge, let's say, to to the rubric.
5: And Una, what advice would you give to somebody who is, you know, using these days before the exam to to cram and to revise and they're, they feel like the information, the new information that they're reading and that they're, they're taking that in is kind of pushing out the old information and that they, they can't recall as vividly the old information that they had in their brain.
8: Yeah, so I suppose what what can happen is that obviously you know when if we're in that cramming mindset which I know some maybe are doing, but you know we all have that tendency to think that we know very little than what we actually do. So I suppose the first instance is that hopefully a lot of students either if they've been in school or they've been going to college will have picked up things anyway. You know you will always get you know bits of information that you remember. We often have a huge doubt whether we'll ever remember anything. So yeah. I suppose there's that piece first to recognise that you know a lot of students probably know an awful lot more. Now, producing an exam is a very different type of skill, but lots of them will know a lot, lot more than what they think. So, when we have, let's say, a mixture of old information and then we are faced with new information, we have that switch to right. How do we keep on the old information and you know make sure we remember that and then try and integrate the new information? So it's it's generally then just about dividing the time really Fiona. It's it's literally about mm. you know spending the time then ideally putting more of the emphasis and more of the weight on the new material first. So let's say if that's the, you know, a day or two before the exam, it's about tackling bits of those new information first instead of, you know, going to the easier bits that we like to do. We'll, oh, well, we'll go over the the old pieces because mm-hmm. I know those. And again, most of the day then is gone and you then have to face the newer material in the afternoon or the night time. So it's about taking those peak times for you as early as possible to go over some of the new information and interlink it. So let's say if you do a study session of 25 minutes or half an hour for the new information first, you took your break and then you maybe did your next session on looking at the old material. So depending upon how far ahead, let's say, you are now in exam time to do that.
5: Okay, so Una, you, you spoke there just a little bit about the, the the days before the exams, you know, taking the breaks, uh, the flashcards. On the morning of the exam, what advice have you got for somebody?
8: So the morning exam, I suppose, the, the two main things that I would highly suggest to limit, particularly as well for, you know, maybe adult learners, is the caffeine and the sugar. So maybe it goes against a lot of, you know, their their planning method. Yeah. But ideally, obviously, that goes against us both concentration wise, all the studies, which we won't get into all of that this morning. But generally speaking, they would be the main things to limit all the sugary drinks, all of those things, you know burn off so much um, excess that we we don't really need. And you get that, obviously, peak high and then you drop. And if you're in a two or three hour exam, you know, that can come back quite quickly to have an effect on you. The main thing, obviously, ideally would be water. You know, okay. we, we can't can't. And so there's a lot of underwater. people out there this morning saying what?
5: <laughs> <laughs> disputing that. <Yes>. I know.
8: <laughs> so they can definitely look into themselves. Um, I'm yeah. sure they'll they'll find it quite easily. Um, yeah. That they would be your main your main things. Ideally, bits of movement. So that doesn't have to be. You know, you go for a half marathon or anything. That yeah. that's literally just five, 10 minutes. You know, stretching, moving around. As we know, traditionally, obviously, exams are in a sitting setting. Unfortunately, we haven't moved to you know standing mm. exams yet. So So even if it is an hour or if it's two or even longer, you know, you're still sitting for quite a huge amount of time, unfortunately, usually in uncomfortable chairs. Um, So it's about kind of how do we activate some aspects of the body. And then the, the, the last piece really would be trying to reaffirm to yourself, you've done all you can, you know, Mm. you have put in bits of work, however limited or more that may be. And it's about just going with it. Then obviously it is the day of the exam unless you're going to avoid it and not go at all. (laughs) It's about trying to, you know, get into the positive mindset of we give it a go you know yep. and see how we get on and, and I suppose that's all you can do just just leading into it and then as you mentioned earlier obviously a quick scan through if you can of any bits of flashcards or mind maps but only for about 10-15 minutes so Brilliant. it's not sitting down to intense study or anything like that you know
5: Great Well I hope that um, all the students who are listening this morning will find some useful advice and tips from that conversation this morning that was Una Buckley from Blossom for Life
3: Can we just talk Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM With the Cork
0: City Marathon take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team register at corkcitymarathon.ie
3: Darren and Demi live Saturdays 2 to 6 p.m. on Corks 96 FM Got me
0: saturday darren and demi bring you the best weekend vibes
3: fill your afternoon with the best music mix
0: entertainment news and lots of laughs (laughs)
3: darren and demi live
0: saturdays 2 to 6 p.m with the cork summer show at the showgrounds koreen june 18th and 19th championing the best of cork for over 200 years got me feeling
3: so good corks 96 fm hear all the biggest hits from your favorite festival stars non-stop
0: quark's 96 fm's back garden festival is now streaming exclusively online listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie
3: the back garden festival with harvey norman and jbl your specialist in sound this summer quark's 96 (laughs) fm
5: Fiona in for PJ this morning and for tomorrow morning as well. Now, over the last couple of weeks here on the Opinion Line, we have been talking about the COVID bonus payment and how it was delayed uh, getting to a lot of uh, healthcare workers here in Cork and we were PJ was speaking yesterday to Public Expenditure Minister Michael McGrath about the situation and during that conversation somebody was in touch to say that staff at the Mercy Hospital have received their bonus payment and another person had been in touch to say it would have been much better to get it back in January instead of now. Uh, following on from that conversation, a listener was in touch to say, I'm so pleased the Mercy staff received their bonus payment we're still waiting in the South Infirmary. We were told we would get it last month, then this month, but it's never it never came. Now we're told it's going to be next month, seven months, and it's down to who they think should get it. I'm a nurse. Every patient that came in was a potential COVID patient, as some of them were emergencies and weren't swabbed and discovered until after surgery. Remember, this was before vaccines. The bonus now has been tainted and I agree with your other speaker that in January it would have filled people's oil tanks. Now at the rate it's you would be lucky to get a half a tank. Thank you very much to that person for getting in touch and let us know if you have received your bonus or if you were like that other speaker who said it would have been much more beneficial to you back in January or February time. You can let us know on oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six or you can text or WhatsApp oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now also, as we we're talking there about the cost of living going up and the cost of petrol going up. We know that eurozone inflation is now running at 7.4% over three times the ECB target and its highest level since the euro was created over two decades ago. So what does this mean for mortgage holders? Joey Sheehan is the mortgage coach. Good morning, Joey.
4: Good morning, Fiona.
5: So, Joey, what exactly does this interest rate mean for our uh, mortgages? Like, are we in trouble? Are they going to go up? Are they going to remain where they are?
4: Well, it looks fairly certain at this point, Fiona, that interest rate rates will increase. Philip Lane of the European Central Bank has indicated we could see a quarter percent rise in July and possibly another one again in September. So that's a half percent in the next uh, number of months. And uh, other commentators are saying that, you know, we could see three quarters, maybe one percent by this time next year. Okay. So that, that that's a total rise potentially of, of up to one percent. Now, the implications of this for borrowers is that, while you know fixed rates and variable rates with the banks are not linked directly to the European Central Bank rate tracker rates are which are, are historic rates um mm. which are very low at the moment typically around 1%. so if and when we see an European Central Bank increase the the tracker ECB tracker rates will increase directly in line with that. so if you're paying 1% on your tracker rate today this time next year you probably will be paying around 2%. While the fixed rates, as I said, are not linked directly, if the ECB goes up a quarter percent, we can expect to probably see that all banks will hike all rates roughly in line with that in a very short period. So if we see a quarter percent rise uh, in July, by August, I would think that, you know, the three-year fixed rate, the 10-year fixed rate, the variable rate with whichever bank will increase roughly in line with that.
5: So, you know, Joey, would you have advised people to go on a fixed rate before... And if people aren't <laughs> on a fixed rate, what would, like, what would be the best advice that you'd have for them?
4: Yeah, so so we're, we're seeing a flurry of inquiries from people that want to lock in for longer-term fixed rates. Mm. So we do have longer-term fixed rates of up to 20, 25, 30 years with uh, Finance Ireland and Avond Money, who are two new lenders, uh, well, relatively new lenders, into the market. Uh, we haven't seen these long-term fixed rates before in Ireland. So you, you can fix between 25 and 3% no matter what your loan to value is currently today for pretty much the full term of of your mortgage. So we're seeing a huge demand for those uh, longer term fixed rates at the moment. So typically people would have fixed for maybe three or five years. Now, in the last number of months, with all this talk of interest rates increasing, we're seeing people um, uh, look for the longer term fixed rates. Now, the one thing I would say, Fiona, this is important, Mm -hmm. that um, like there's no need for borrowers to panic right now so what they do have an opportunity and in my opinion it's a golden opportunity right now to still fix at exceptional value for longer term fixed rates so everybody's agreed and accepted that rates will rise mm. however most banks haven't hiked rates yet so we're seeing a flurry of people uh, switching mostly from Ulster Bank and KBC or exiting the market but we're seeing from many other lenders as well um, and they're look, looking for to get the value and lock in now so you know, to take a, 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 a twenty-year fixed of two and a half percent, if you've got a, you know, two or three hundred thousand mortgage, uh, c- it could could be the difference in a lot of uh, a lot of money. I'll just give I'll just give one example on yeah. that. And um, if somebody has um, a three hundred thousand mortgage uh, with a value, let's say, of five hundred thousand, which means their loan-to-value is sixty percent, and they've got twenty-five years remaining, they could be on a standard variable rate today with a bank of four point five percent. If they took a 25-year fixed rate of 2.5% with Finance Ireland, which means it can't move for the next 25 years, they're at no risk of rates increasing, this would save them €320 monthly or €96,000 over the term of their mortgage. So it's definitely worth, I would say, to anybody, and even if you're on a fixed rate, switching is still available to you. So if you're on a fixed rate, ring your bank today, find out is there a breakage fee to leave the bank now, Regardless of what that is, call us at My Mortgages and we'll tell you in a matter of minutes what we can do for you in terms of saving uh, money and and getting the best deal. You know,
5: is it is it difficult to switch mortgage? Like if um you know you were talking there about penalties, can people avoid that? Have you got any advice for people who want to to what if they want to switch?
4: Well, well, the cost of funding is relevant to the breakage fee, and depending on the bank, they've got different calculations. So with some of the banks. It's virtually zero right mm-hmm. now no matter how much how long is left in your in your fixed rate others it can be exorbitant but you, you just need to ring your bank a, a, and see how much it is in terms of switching um, some banks ha- have kind of brought in a streamlined process for, for switching to make it easier and they require reduced documentation so for example all you would need uh, with some of the banks would be you know one pay slip six months bank statements photo ID and and complete the, the, the form. So um, it is definitely more straightforward than, than your initial purchasing mortgage application, let's say.
5: Joey, if somebody is going for a mortgage for the first time and they feel completely overwhelmed by it all and they don't know whether to do a fixed or variable, like what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's going for a first time mortgage?
4: Well, generally speaking, Fiona, right now, fixed rates offer better value than than variable rates, uh, in the main. So, you know, tradi- traditionally, variable rates would have been lower than fixed rates. <clears throat> but what we've seen in, in the last number of years is that um, fixed rates are offering better value. So, generally, people tend to fix. As, as I said, pre pre this year, let's say, generally our clients were maybe three, four, five year fixed. Mm. Now we're seeing people look for longer. So I suppose it depends on the individual. Some people you know, if, if they've got very strong earnings, they mightn't be as concerned about rates increasing. Other people, if they're, you know, in a job that their income may not increase too much over time, they, they want to avoid that risk and they're maybe looking for the longer term fixed rates. But the, the good news for first-time buyers is that they still have a lot of choice um, all lenders are offering ninety percent uh, loan to value for them, and some lenders offer incentives such as cash back. Um, also, you know there's green rates available if your house energy rating is, is an A or B rating, and um, some banks offer a lower rate for that. Um, and just regarding one other thing regarding variable income for first time buyers and second time buyers, if if you have a couple, let's say and they're earning a hundred thousand between them, they can qualify for three and a half times that income, which would be three hundred and fifty thousand. Let's say each of them have overtime or bonus of 10,000 each, which would be an extra 20,000 a year between them. Mm. Uh, some, ba- some banks would allow some of that and some banks would allow all of that in terms of the three and a half times multiple. So a couple earning 100,000 with 20,000 variable income could qualify for 350 with one bank and possibly 420 with another bank and maybe something in between with a third bank.
5: And Joey, you mentioned green rates. What What's that?
4: So it's, it's important to get that advice. What was that? And sorry, I just, um,
5: th- I just lost you there. I just lost you there. Sorry, Joey. Um, I was just asking you there about green rates. What exactly is that?
4: Yeah, so a green rate is your house. Uh, so for anybody who's built a house, who's bought a house in the new development, or who's in the process of buying a house, uh, the energy rating is probably, uh, the Burr energy rating is probably A or B. Okay, so it's more energy efficient, so, so some of the banks offer uh, an incentivized rate for an um, a or b rated houses, which means you know we can get a four year fixed rate from let's say two percent so anybody who has an a or b rated house should not be paying more than two percent
5: okay um and is there any big mistake that a person could make and that they should be aware of?
4: Well the one thing I would say is that you know taking out a mortgage is the biggest investment of most people's lives. And given the example I gave earlier, it can be the difference of €100,000 depending which bank you go with, depending on rates. So a a lot of people would, if they got their current accounts with the same bank for the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, all their lives, they kind of walk into that bank and they just go ahead with the mortgage with them because they think, they presume that that bank might have the best deal. Um, Whereas in fact, there's there's up to eight or nine lenders in the market. So what I would say to to anybody is contact a broker, get get on to us at my mortgages, we'll review the market for you and the, chance, the chances of your bank that your current account is with having the best deal is probably one in eight, let's say. So, um, we, we would say that we will shop around for you and get the best deal. And as I say, you know, long-term value is key when it can make the difference of €100,000 over the life of a mortgage.
5: Joy, somebody wants to know, would it be a good idea to check on the mortgage situation a few times a year these days, unless you're locked into a super long fixed rate? <sighs>
4: Um, yes, keep, keep a mortgage under review. We would typically say every, every two or three years, you know, people should be reviewing their rate. Um, but um, yeah, there's no, no, no harm in keeping an eye on it as, as you go. Yeah, mm. absolutely.
5: And the average first-time buyer now borrows 250000 over 30 years. The average rate of that is 2.78%. Is that right?
4: That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, you know, 278 Within that, I'm sure you have some people paying two percent, mm. and you have other people maybe paying, you know, three and a half. So you you got to make sure you're you're the one paying the two, not the three and a half. You know.
5: And if the rates were to eventually hit three percent, then your mortgage would be over four hundred euro more expensive each month.
4: Yeah. Um. Um. So. So. Yeah. So. So. In. in an example of um the one I gave earlier, going from two and a half to four and a half percent, it's a difference of three hundred and twenty a month, right. which is you know heading towards 4,000 a year, which is huge, you know, and that's, that's a disposable income for people. That's the difference being, between being able to, um, you know, go to the weekend or whatever, you know. Yeah,
5: which is a big thing, Joey, isn't it? It's um, And, you know, just when you're talking to people on a daily basis, like, is there a lot of concern out there with people?
4: Um, I, I wouldn't say concern, but I, I think people are, if you've got a, a big investment like this, you obviously want to pay back... Um. The minimum amount uh, to the bank. You know, yeah. why pay more for a product if if you can pay less to Bank A rather than Bank B? Why would you pay more? So I think pe- people are aware of that now, and people people are definitely um, taking action and they're taking back control from the banks. Okay. And um, they they are, they are they are seeing this opportunity now that before the rates increase, and there's a chance that the rates will have increased maybe a quarter percent by the time somebody's actually drawing down. Who's applying today? However, it'll still be worth, it'll still be better value to to go ahead and switch now.
5: Can I just, before I let you go there, Joey, somebody has just asked, what advice would Joey give to those on a 1% tracker rate with 20 years left? Stay on it or fix it.
4: It's a tough one. Um, We see tracker margins as low as half percent, and we've seen ones as high as 2.2%. So the person who's on a tracker rate of 2.2%, that's an easy one they should be fixing now today and walk away from that tracker because there's not much value in it. Mm. The one who's on it, a half percent, I would be saying stick with it. And then it comes down to, you know, at 1%, one, one and a quarter percent, it's in the middle. So, um, you know, chances are that 1% will be 2% by next year. Um, it could be, it could go higher. It could be two and a half, three percent in the next number number of years. Uh, so, so the value of it would have erased. And, um, we are seeing it's more of an individual decision really but we are seeing people inquiring to fix who are on trackers in the last number of months which we never saw before um, so it, it, it's a personal but if they want to reach out to us we can talk through the personal situation and uh, you know try and help them make that decision
5: Joey another person has been in touch here with question for you I have a mortgage with Ulster Bank fixed rate expiring in September due to bank exiting can we move in advance and do a deal with a new bank sooner?
4: Yes, you can. And, um, you know, the banks are very busy at the moment and, and the switching process could take, you know, a couple of months, could Could be depending on the bank, two to three months. So by the time we actually get this done and dusted, we could be nearly into August, September anyway.
5: Okay. Um, and just before I let you go as well, just from my own um, uh, point of view, Joey, just from my own interest, should you get your house valued before changing?
4: No, because um, it it may be a waste of money. So um, most people will have have an idea of the value based on uh, the property register, uh, similar houses selling in the area. Mm. But each each bank has its own panel of valuers. So if we go...
5: Ah, we've lost you
4: there. Okay. ...valuers. So we need somebody from that um, panel to, to value it. Whereas if you get somebody who's not in that panel, you might be paying out twice.
5: Okay, Brilliant. Joey, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us on the Opinion Line this morning That was Joey Sheehan, the mortgage coach uh, speaking to us here on the Opinion Line this morning
3: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With
0: the Cork
5: City Marathon
0: Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk
3: the opinion line with PJ Coogan.
0: Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696.
3: On courts 96 FM.
5: Now coming up on the show later on we will be looking at the return of festivals and the top trends for this year if you're interested in your festival fashion stay tuned and we're bringing all the festival headliners to your back garden. Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online with Harvey Norman and JBL your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie now, we were speaking to Joey uh, Sheehan, the mortgage coach there, and we've been talking quite a lot in the last couple of weeks about the rising cost of inflation, and I see on the front page of the examiner, and indeed it's a survey that's carried in most of the papers today, 63% of parents say their children are going without food, clothes or heat because of the rising cost of, of living. Which, I don't know, I just think that's absolutely incredible number. Over half of parents are now saying that their children are going without food, clothes or heat because they're trying to put a roof over their head Um, and because of this, Bernardo's, their children's charity Bernardo's, is calling on the government to introduce a hardship fund to ensure children have access to all of these necessities Um, It found that 70% of parents said the cost of living increases have negatively affected their children over the past 6 months while almost 1 in 8 parents reported a significantly negative impact on their children. It's um, it is really a, a crying shame, and it's a, a sad reflection of the society that we're living in today. And if you are one of those parents who is struggling to put food on the table for your children, and you'd like to talk to me this morning, you can, of course, get in touch. The number to call is zero eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, or you can text or WhatsApp zero eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six, and indeed you can email us opinion at ninety six fm.ie, and somebody. From the team will get in touch. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Now, um, we are looking at um, a new initiative called Pathways to Progress. It is um, an initiative that's been set up to try and help asylum seekers or refugees or migrants who are coming to Ireland to um, find work here. And I'm joined now by, Je- uh, by Jeanne McDonough. Good morning, Jan. Morning. How are and you? And also Bilal Faruqi.
9: Hi, hi, how
5: are you guys? How are you? Uh, thanks for joining us on the show this morning. Now, Pathways to Progress, um, as I said there, it is an initiative that's been um, launched to try and help people from migrant background to find work or or to create pathways to employment. So, um, you guys, have you been through the Pathways to Progress? Are you um, migrants yourselves? Um, well, yeah. I
9: run it and Bilal has been through it.
5: Okay, so I'll start with yourself, Shan. So um, you run this programme. So how can somebody who has arrived in Ireland and they're looking for work, how can they benefit from this programme?
9: Well, we look to support people in a number of ways who are seeking education and work and to build their own business. And we connect them with our employers. We have a a collective of over 110 organizations through the Open Doors Initiative, which is the parent company. And we connect them to employers um, in a number of ways. So it could be mentoring, it could be potential jobs, it could be projects. And we also assist migrant entrepreneurs in starting their own business. And we assist employers in recruiting migrants and building an inclusive workplace. So it's a web-based hub of information and support There's a direct contact for anyone who needs advice. And we set them up to all these pathways um, to give them a chance to get into employment.
5: When you say that you help employers, (coughs) what kind of help or what kind of assistance do employers need to try and integrate migrants into their workforce?
9: Well, it's been well shown that a diverse and inclusive workplace is a better workplace both for the existing employees, for new employees, and for the business itself. So we help them with their recruitment process to make sure it is diverse, that it is welcoming to people from all sorts of marginalized backgrounds. We help them with recruitment. We help them with the job spec. We help them sort of set them up for success. And also when the person joins the workplace, sort of educate them in things they need to be aware of, whether it's religious needs, whether it's they're fasting for a particular time in the year, or there could be language barriers, or they could have to apply for a stamp or a permit, and we help them through that process. And many migrants um, face additional barriers when they're going to work in in Ireland. Uh, For example, work culture might be different and expectations might be different, or language may be a barrier. And also, their education and experience and skills to date may be difficult to transfer into an Irish context. Mm. You know, for example, references may be in a different language, or there could be gaps in employment for understandable reasons. And there's also a real problem. There's very significant underemployment amongst migrants in, in Ireland in jobs that suit their skill sets or to help them with career progression. So we try to help with all those different elements.
5: And Bilal, I'll I'll go to you next. You came to Ireland and you used this Pathways to Progress programme to try and help you get into the workforce here. Uh, Can I just start? When did you come to Ireland?
10: Yeah, hi, Fiona. Uh, So I actually moved to Ireland last year um, and I wanted to pursue my higher education. So I thought I should get... Uh, I was looking at universities and countries to move to. Uh, so, um, I did find Ireland to be one of the uh, turning into one of the IT hubs. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to move and, uh, uh, you know, get some um, uh, professional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think during my um, one of the courses that I was taking in my university, we had this collaborative part where you could actually meet a real life company and uh, work with them. Um, uh, so that's where I met Jean. Um, uh, in Open Doors, and um, I got to know a lot about their company during the time I was uh, doing my course. Um, once I graduated, um, I started applying for jobs. <laughs> and,
5: and was it difficult um, to, to find a job?
10: Uh, actually, yeah, surprisingly, even though I have lived in Canada, I was I have a lot of professional background behind me, so I, I wasn't really expecting it to, um, you know, to have such difficulties just yeah. in the beginning of my career here in Ireland. So um, what happened is that I did a couple of interviews, and um, I passed the technical part that wasn't a problem, but when it came to the actual interview, I, it, it wasn't going through. Uh, so after two or three interviews, I actually got in touch with Dean again, and I was like, okay, she does this work, so she might be able to help me and you know sort things out for me. And uh, <laughs> so I messaged her, and then uh, she was very uh, kind and nice and she replied back and she was like yeah I'll get an associate uh, to get in touch with you and I got in touch with one of the associates from Open Doors in and uh, we did a quick mock interview and then all of them were like right on the spot she was able to detect a couple of things that I wasn't doing right.
5: So what weren't <laughs> and, you doing right? Like I mean if um, anybody has arrived over here in Ireland and they are finding it difficult to to get a job like what kind of advice would you give to them? What did you what were you doing wrong?
10: Yeah i Uh, Jen explained right now that there's a huge cultural difference and this reflects in uh, workplace as well Uh, so what happened is that um, the way I was um, approaching the interviews was what I was used to uh, doing in Canada or doing it in Malaysia I lived in a lot of multiple countries and worked there so um, uh, she uh, there's a specific pattern that we actually have to do or follow when it comes to Irish market Um, they have a certain uh, uh, expectations and they have a certain rhythm that you have to go with. And that's what I, uh, wh- that's what I worked on. Uh, that's what the associate from open doors actually got me, um, you know, to go through that Did couple of mock interviews, made sure that I got all those, uh, kicks, uh, you know, done. And, um, uh, Surprisingly, like, well, I wouldn't say surprisingly, but it worked. Uh, The next interview I had, I followed exactly (laughs) what they told me and I landed a job.
5: Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you're you're obviously getting on really well now and you're enjoying your, your job here in Ireland.
10: I am. I am quite happy. (laughs) All thanks to open doors.
5: And do you find that, um, do you know, that the skills and the the talents that you picked up along the way from, you know, Malaysia and Canada, that that has been um, beneficial to the workforce that you're working in with now?
10: Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Um, Irish, um, I think workforce does need a lot of uh, IT professionals Mm. and that's what my field is. Uh, So that's the easy part, uh, getting talent. But, you know, going through the actual interview is the difficult part. So um, uh, uh, the way I would put it is that uh, let's say someone moves from India, right, and they have like four years of experience in a certain category in IT. But if they can't crack the interview or they can't pass the interview process, that uh, that experience is just wasted. And they're going to waste two years sitting here and after, uh, reapplying and applying again for interviews and figuring out what is going wrong. They have the right skills for the job, but just the interview itself is becoming a problem for them. So, um, you know, institutes like Open Doors, these are the people that actually connect those two joints together. You know, they, they help you with that process and then uh, let that person shine, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, let his skills speak for, the, yeah, uh, for themselves. Okay.
5: Fantastic. And Shan. if anybody wants to avail of the services of Pathways to Progress, whether that be a migrant who has come over here to Ireland or whether it's an employer who wants to include some diversity into their workforce and would like to hire some people from overseas who have just come over here, how can they get in touch with Pathways to Progress?
9: Um, sure, well, we've a website um, that we discussed, www.pathwaystoprogress.ie, or you can email us on info at ie, and we'll take it from there.
5: Brilliant. Guys, thank you so much for joining me this morning. That was Jeanne McDonough from Pathways to Progress and Bilal Faruqi. Now, coming up after the break, um, I know it's time now, the summer time is officially here and because of that we will be putting on the sandals and if you have any uh, questions about how to make your feet a little bit more presentable, uh, you can let us get in touch with us, it's 0818 96, 96, 96 or 0833 96, 96, 96 and we'll be discussing that next
3: Can we just talk Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
0: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.
3: Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your
0: guides tonight.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Call us now 0818
3: on Courts 96 FM.
5: Welcome back. Fiona in for PJ today. Now, they're the part of our body that probably take the most amount of pressure and do the most amount of work for us all year round, but probably get the least amount of attention because they're covered for most of the year but now that the sun is out our feet are going to be being exposed to the public as we don our sandals. So Kelly Adams from New York Nails what advice would you have for us to get those feet presentable for the summer months? Good morning Hey Fiona, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Kelly, yes, uh, you know cracked skin, blisters <laughs> maybe old nail varnish on our, our nails. It's time now to to make our feet that little bit more presentable isn't it? Yeah,
11: I mean I'd say our feet have been in the closet for maybe the last two and a half years <laughs> if, uh, if I had to guess. I know mine have been anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so this might be the first year time to shine with those feet, you know. Um, you know, I'll tell you we do we do some killer pedicures in New York Nails but there's a product uh, for people that are too shy to let their feet hang out in public um we use it in the in the shop a lot uh, and there's a pedicure based on it it's called the foot logic system and uh, basically what you're saying there like with the blisters people getting um small infections really dry or really cracked skin mm. you know so it kind of hurts um we actually
9: we take, we have a whole range
11: of those products in the shop um, and they can be purchased independently as well um, really great go-to a lot of those are also sold over the course of the pandemic uh, more than I'd ever seen before so what I would always recommend anyway is um, don't be shy mm. go somewhere good for a pedicure get a great thing. get everything off kind of like a reveal for the year for the summer anyway and, um, talk to your pedicurist and tell her your concerns um If you have a good one, they should have those products to kind of back you up and support you and to send you home with them too.
5: If you want to do it your ho at yourself at home if you don't want to go out and get yourself a pedicure um do you know I know that the shops sell a lot of these um yeah. you know scrapers and and stuff like that. So, if you're going to be going about that yourself at home, have you got any advice like is it best to soak the feet first of all? Have we lost Kelly? You have kind of...
11: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think the connection is not great. Um, you, you kind of have two options and I'd say a lot of these people um, that don't like to come into a salon do uh, kind of avail of one or the other. Um, there's some really great products on the market at the moment for peeling. So if you get a really good, like a good, um, a good brand, one that you have confidence in, um, we, we sell one or two of them anyway. Uh, it's a sock and you put it on and you leave it on for a short period of time and then you rinse it off and over the course of about a week, uh, I know it sounds, uh, very delicious, but it, it peels. Appeals over like the course of the week. So like you're kind of, uh, getting a new reveal, uh, over the course of seven days. Um, so that's one thing people can do, especially if they're not dexterous to cut their own toenails or sloth them y- yourself. Uh, mm. I know even in my forties, I- I'm not sure I can bend down and paint my toenails anymore. Um, but <laughs> these socks, they- they're great. You know, you put them on, you let them do their work, uh, and you do about seven days. So that's a really good thing for getting like the hard skin off. Um, even for people that have that kind of that peeling, it's a great way to kind of counteract it. But um, you should always, if you have any kind of concerns, any discoloration, any kind of broken skin or anything that's painful, you really should always not hesitate to address it with a doctor. It, it could be something sinister, uh, especially we live in a very moist country, for mm. lack of a better description. So if you have uh, moisture kind of on your feet all the time or you're not keeping them dry, Sometimes that can lead to some infections and some problems, so it, it is, it's is—it's very important to look after them, especially uh, if you have a diabetic in your life. Anybody that's diabetic should know that they should be taking care of their skin yeah. and their feet. Uh, very good. Uh, it should be a, a top priority.
5: Kelly, some people were, you know, their job involves a lot of standing during the day and they may be wearing, you know, heavy yep. socks, heavy duty shoes. Um, so their feet sweat a lot in the yep. summer. Um, would would it be recommended that, that those people, when they do get home, that they put maybe a cooling lotion on their feet? Those
11: can be a great relief to some people, especially some of the ladies that come into us and a couple guys too, um, these steel-toed boots. yeah. Some of them are like made to wear for to, for work, uh, safety shoes or whatever they're called. Um, there is a spray. Um, we use it a lot in the shop, actually, uh, for for people like this and for pregnant women, actually, who tend to get really bothered and really kind of swollen in like hot legs and hot feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it does actually come from that foot Footlogics brand again. Um, and I, I suppose, like, it's a great go-to because it is a, like, semi-medical brand, uh, and it, it's very, like, uh it, it's hypoallergenic, it's safe for many, kind of, cross-sections of the public, including pregnancy, older age, diabetics, um, and whatnot. So, yes, they do one or two, kind of, sprays, and they are, like, a cooling spray, and they tend to, kind of, relax and moisturize, uh and we... we
5: I think we've lost Kelly we might try and clean up her line a little bit there and get her back because I wanted to ask her about people who may have blisters on their ankles and particularly at this time because we know that the Cork City Marathon is coming up this weekend and a lot of people have been doing a lot of training and a lot of running and um, we know that that can cause a lot of blisters on the feet and also um, with new shoes I know that um, you know you could buy a pair of new shoes and you end up then with blisters on your ankles and blisters on your Um, on on the soles of your feet and blisters on your toes and uh, I'd love to hear from Kelly what we can do about that. Also I wanted to ask her about um, summer colours. Um, Maybe some of our listeners might be able to get in touch with us and let us know what their preferred colour is for the summer Um, and how often do you change it? Um, Are you one of those people who, like me in the past, (laughs) have uh, maybe put on a really nice nail varnish on your nails and uh, you're heading out for the night and then that nail varnish stays on for about six or seven months, and then summertime comes, and you realise that half of it is chipped off, and uh, you've just you're in a rush out the door. You stick on a pair of sandals, and you just notice that the the toes are not what they are, and you just stick a bit of nail varnish over the top of it, just to kind of cover it up. Are you one of those people? Let us know. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, or you can uh, text or WhatsApp oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. And I think Kelly is back to us. Are you Kelly? I'm here, yep. Hello, Kelly. I was just saying there about blisters on the ankle, um, particularly for people who are maybe running a lot. And, you know, we have the City Marathon on in uh, Cork this Sunday. So there's a lot of people who have been training a lot and their feet are maybe in a bit of a state. Oh, I'm sure
11: they will be and uh, thereafter.
5: Um, You know,
11: blisters are are something that will come up with the friction of walking, running, uh, being really hard on your feet. There's not a whole lot that can be done there. You really just need to wait for them to alleviate. You need to wait till the the liquid comes out and let them dry up. Um, Those compede kind of things you can get are great. Mm. You don't want to do too much skin work or anything like that once you've come off of a marathon. Uh, And anyone doing a marathon will tell you they don't want you near their feet for at least four days. Um, So really what you want to do is keep them clean, dry, moisturized, and a bit of compede on them for those blisters.
5: Uh, we were. T- I was talking there as well, Kelly, about um, nail varnish. And, um, you know, I-, I was saying that sometimes, you know, we can be guilty of leaving nail varnish on for months. And then when the summertime comes and we realise that uh, the-, the nail varnish is still there, we just paint over it. But that's probably a, a complete no-no, is it? <laughs> yeah.
11: Well, I mean, we see it a lot, but, like, we're busy people, aren't we? I'm mm-hmm. sure you're guilty of it as well. I know, I, I, I'm I probably <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, we go to take off somebody's polish, and it's blue, and, oh, no, it's red underneath, and, oh, you had pink before that, you know? It's like, uh, uh, you know, layers. But, look, these things happen, uh, and we do things on the fly. Having, like, a really good pedicure and getting them painted when you're in the salon, they can last. They can last you for a good few months, like, if you take care of your feet, the polish, unless you've been, like, you know, maybe rock climbing barefoot or you've mm. been on the beach ex- excessively or something like that. Um, it's not a no-no, but what what can happen, uh, especially when you do it at home, people don't um, consider that a base coat, the bottom coat, the clear coat is very important when you're putting on nail polish. It protects your nail, uh, especially from drying out. And then obviously it looks a lot better once you lay a bit of tracks before you're putting color on. So if you do that layering and uh, you're adding color after color, you could see some dryness under your nails, uh, when the polish comes off a little bit of uh, kind of flaking, if you will.
5: And uh, Kelly, just with regards then to nail colours, um, do you know, what are the the kind of top trends for this summer? Um, You know, I know a lot of bright colours would be in fashion for the summertime, but for people who are maybe, you know, as you said, haven't exposed their feet in a couple of years (laughs) um, and they don't want to be the only person in Cork with neon orange. (laughs) (laughs) Or do they? Or do they, exactly,
11: yeah. (laughs) Um, you know what this year it it was weird. Like when we finally were able to open again and everything, um, French polish kind of like blew up again, really popular. Don't know why, but that was a, that was a big, big trend. Now that like the seasonal colors are coming in, uh, I think it's a bit skewed, right? Because a lot of the color releases were delayed because everyone was kind of in the same position, strangely enough, you know? So, um, like the, the colors that were coming in in spring are kind of like just starting to hit now. Uh, because no one was open, no one was availing. Uh, so I see everything. I see like really vibrant blues. I see a lot of yellow and green, which I still find kind of weird when it comes to nails. I, that's just my personal opinion. Like, there's some cool greens out there. Well,
5: green well, and especially yellow. Especially if you go to a festival or something like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, festival colors very bright. And would your your nail color have to match your your toe color?
11: Um, you know, I think that's personal preference. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to look at it yourself. So would I avail of that kind of thing? Yeah, sometimes, you know, but, um, y- you know, it really depends on your preference. Yeah.
5: Kelly, listen, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And we will have you back to talk more about the feat. That was really informative. And I really enjoyed that conversation with Kelly Adams from New York Nails.
3: Can we just talk? The opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM
0: with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
5: Fiona in for PJ today. Um, just before I get to our next caller, I noticed a thing there this morning. We've spoken a lot on the opinion line about Lyme disease and I see that the HSE have issued a warning about Lyme disease today. Um, they're saying that it is um, you know, easy to treat if it's diagnosed early. Um, it's a bacterial infection that can be spread by infected ticks. So if anybody is, um, you know, if they're camping over the summertime or if they're out and about in any kind of grassy area and they discover that they have any kind of uh, ticks, make sure that you get rid of them straight away um, and if you are noticing any kind of a rash or um, a, a, a redness around the area where the tick was, to, to seek medical advice straight away. Um, so that's just something that came into us today from the HSE um, and to bear in mind, especially if you have children and you're out and about a lot over the summer months. Now speaking of children um, we um, have discovered now that um, you know as parents we try to promote healthy eating to our children as much as we can but you know is there a danger that we can overdo it orthorexia is a term that's used to describe a focus on only eating healthy foods and an obsession to avoid all toxic meals. Dr. kilty Oberlin is a disordered eating specialist and she joins me now to speak about this. Good morning Dr. Um, Oberlin. Hi Fiona, thanks for having me. Yeah, You're very welcome and thanks for joining us on the show. Um, Dr. Kelty, you um, are noticing that a lot of children are learning a culture of disordered eating because of the language that parents are using or that adults are using.
7: They are. When you think about children, I always put, when I'm explaining eating disorders, disordered eating, healthy eating, it's on a spectrum and it's relationship. So it's relationship to food, relationship to body. But when we're talking to kids, we have to remember like their brains are not developed yet. So they can't understand those complex word wording about relationships. I mean, even adults are struggling with this because mm. the diet industry promotes what they're calling healthy but it's really a lot of diet so people are getting fear there's this fear of gaining weight this fear of um, eating the wrong things and we're calling foods good and bad when really it's what what we want to promote is um, moderation because that's realistic that's sustainable and that is actually healthy so when we're teaching children um healthy eating we often break it down into good and bad foods because that's what their brains can understand but yeah i'm getting i've been working in ireland over 20 years and the difference in people seeking help for eating disorders Mm. um so that's where where they get to that other end of the spectrum and you listen to where and how it started I didn't have as many young children seeking help when I first started over here. Um, and now it's sort of, it's like every second call is coming in for children, my child, my child. And when you listen to the language or the, the narrative of of how this disordered eating slash eating disorder kicked off, they're they're saying, I just wanted to be healthy and I learned that this food was bad, so I cut it out. And then it it moves on and it grows to it felt good, you know. I was rewarded. Isn't that great? You're having I don't know fruit instead of sweets. We're 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 rewarding children for being quote unquote good, and and then it, and then it grows. And so they're learning. And one of the things like fats are bad. So they start. They hear something has fats. I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. Um and most importantly as well is that dis- this disordered eating is not just about food they're learning about how important ideal body size is and they're picking it up when they hear mom's dad's or people in authority saying oh i was so bad over the weekend i ha- you know i'm so bad i'm having this chocolate cake or I'll be good tomorrow. And mm. good means exercise. And, um, or good means cutting out anything from a meal to, you know, quote unquote, bad foods. And, or, and most importantly, they're watching adults criticizing their bodies in front of the mirror. I'm calling themselves fat when they're not that.
5: Do you think that we throw around those kind of terms um, too easily then in front of our children because you know um, I suppose we're all kind of guilty of saying oh my god I'm after eating that now I can't believe I'm after eating that um, I'm going to be good tomorrow and probably don't even think about it in the way that we should be thinking about it.
7: Yeah and we hear it and do it so often it's like saying how are you today I'm fine well it's not really true and we know that Um But we're kind of accepting that with uh, adults between each other. And so it's become normal to criticize our body. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't hear... When I'm working with people and they're in the process of getting well and getting healthy and reestablishing a realistic, healthy relationship to food, and they're coming in and they're talking and they're saying, nobody in my family actually has a healthy relationship to food and that family is no different to most people around because you know most people are criticizing themselves for not getting to the gym like but Mm -hmm. they're saying i'm bad because i'm not
5: um so if we are talking around our children and we want to promote healthy eating it's better are you saying it's better to talk about if You know, moderation that it's okay to eat everything as long as it's like in smaller portions, whatever, without or instead of labeling things as a good food and a bad food.
7: Absolutely. And we teach people if when we look and when we when we look at it and we think in terms of what moderation is, it's developing a realistic relationship. So that means that we're saying yes to ourselves sometimes for certain reasons and no to ourselves other times. So we have to learn how to say both yes and no to ourselves and not criticize ourselves for it, but realize, you know, that's, that is actually practicing moderation and acceptance and kindness. Mm. Because over time, when we think of critical thinking, when we cr- think of criticism, it's, it's unkind. You know, so we want our children to learn kindness with others, but we also have to teach them to be kind to themselves so as people develop more rigid disordered eating and then maybe cross the line into eating disorder their self dialogue is very critical they motivate themselves through criticism and fear as opposed to moderate moderation and kindness and and being realistic i can't be i can't do everything well all the time
5: Doctor Oberlin it must be very heartbreaking for you to see children and you know teenagers coming into you with um, you know disordered eating and, and talking about things like this. Um, you know, because it doesn't seem natural that a child sh- should talk about themselves in this way. So for you to see this all the time, it must be very heartbreaking.
7: It is, but it's also as heartbreaking to me with adults because mm. you know we're now looking at the diet industry and that and even the med- it's influenced the medical industry too like people go in and immediately weight is commented on as if it's the barometer for health and it and it actually isn't so people are it's it's not just the children it's it's the parents it's the adults and you know we're all kind of we we can't go online without hearing you know how we should be which is therefore means how we're wrong you know um, so I think this I, I think it's it's a challenge for all of us and like so if I'm working with a child I really realize I need to be I'm working with the whole family you know the whole family because I also' also say if one person begins to struggle and and isn't able to nourish themselves the way the body needs that compassion and kindness towards the body um, that the whole family develops an eating disorder or disorder because everyone begins to worry and everybody, so then everybody becomes self-conscious.
5: And I think we forget that children of a very young age can you know, they do have an understanding of this and they do have an understanding of how other people might perceive them. Um, like we had a call here a couple of weeks ago from a mum who was um, very concerned because she had taken her five-year-old to the public health nurse and the public health nurse had you know, done the regular uh, weight and height charts um, and she said in front of the child that they were uh, measuring in as overweight and the parents said that, you know, that they didn't that they didn't see the child as being overweight in any way, and um, mm-hmm. the public health nurse then took out a chart with um, uh, you know different kinds of healthy food and said that um, if the child started eating uh, or that they would be rewarded for eating, so they had like a kind of a re- reward chart and you get stars for the amount of food healthy food that you eat, and the parent was very concerned about that. So, do you know? Do you think that it's not just parents that need to be aware of the way they talk, but it's a society as a whole?
7: It absolutely is. I mean, I've been saying for a few years now. It's not just uh, the person that shows up to be treated for an eating disorder or disordered eating. It's actually very difficult because the whole it's a disordered eating society. You know, Mm -hmm. we're 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 more prone, we're more likely. People are always shocked. You're not on a diet, you know, (laughs) because most people are on. And when we look at what a diet is in terms, you know, it's usually restricting a food group. Mm. Um, and when you, we, it's fascinating, but when you really start delving into neuroscience and how the brain actually works, the minute we say, you know, take something out, suddenly that's, we, we become fixated on it. You know, that that mm. age old thing where don't think of an elephant and suddenly you think of an elephant. Um, yeah.
5: And I suppose now with summertime, um, you know, the issue of weight and our our body um, really comes to the fore a lot because we're probably, you know, wearing, we can't really cover ourselves up in a big coat. So, um, you know, Mm -hmm. we probably do talk about our our weight and and what we eat a lot more now. So I suppose the message today is to try and be careful about the way you speak about it and the language Mm -hmm. that you use when you're talking about um, trying to lose weight.
7: Yeah. When we become critical, it almost, you know, so most anybody that goes on a diet has criticized, you know, is critical of their size, shape, their, you know, maybe maybe their their health practitioner has told them, like in your example, hmm. that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your size and shape. And so people say, I just want to get healthy. But we have to remember that health is also, it's not just about the size, the shape, weight, the calories. And nutrition is much more than calories. Mm. So our, when we when we really, I think, really begin to reframe what is well-being. And well-being is really about... We have to really work on our language with ourselves as well to try and bring in more compassion. And most people think, well, if I'm compassionate, I'll get lazy. Mm. But that's not really true. Then we sort of start to then break it out even further about, well, what's the lifestyle I'm living? What is, what do I actually put in that I enjoy? Mm. Um, Do I have joy in my life? Do I have compassion, you know, joyful relationships, uh, is that making sense?
5: It is yeah kind of completely. Out, you know? and you know mm-hmm. I suppose like it's okay to sit back and enjoy your ice cream or your dessert if you've had you know relatively healthy dinner and you've included a few carrots on the plate there <laughs> keep the yeah. portion sizes yeah. maybe a little bit smaller um, but just try and eat um, you know a balanced diet is, is the message really
7: it's aiming for balance, but so much of what we're being told is it's about perfection. Mm. And you know, there's a, and and we can get inundated and so confused with all the messages about, you know, this one day dairy's bad, the next day dairy's necessary. Yeah. and you know, and that goes with all different types of food groups. So we take we're actually literally taking. Not just dairy or whatever the fad is today, but we're beginning to take the enjoyment around food. And like you said, summertime, we're humans, humans throughout history. It has been around the dinner table. It's been around meals. Mm. It's been around, you know, that, that we socialize, that we engage with people.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially in the summertime, there's nothing nicer than going for a drive to the beach and then stopping stopping off for fish and chips on the way home, you know, and you don't want to say to people, well, you know, you can't really do that anymore because that's not healthy.
7: Mm-hmm. And so we're also, that's where we're creating memories with our children mm. and it's memories about connection. Um, we have to teach children how to enjoy. So therefore, we also have to learn how to enjoy as well. Um and that's as important, you know, we, we become so focused on teaching. Like we're in exams time, exam time and mm-hmm. we can spread that. We can infect our children with anxiety and worry and think, and they become, they, they learn to think, okay, that's how I need to operate. That's how I, I need to be fearful. I need to be worried. I need to be anxious. I'm more often working with kids around um around exam time and you you begin to see that they don't know how to study without this anxiety and so when they get to higher levels of education they still approach each of these exams thinking that i study with a lot of anxiety which also you know gets in the way and we can't retain as much information so if we are bringing and sharing our anxiety anxiety isn't enti- very infectious yeah um, yeah, so I just I do that. I see links between everything and I start to pull it in, but <laughs> we, we can infect around the relationship with food with as much anxiety. and
5: yeah yeah, Dr. Kelty Oberlin, it's a fascinating subject and one that I would love to explore a little bit more with you on the opinion line at a later date if that would be possible. We'd love to have you back on to talk about this in more detail. Absolutely anytime brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us on The Opinion Line this morning. That was Dr. Kelty Oberlin.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM
5: with the Cork
0: City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk?
3: Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 0818 96, 96,
5: 96.
3: On Courts 96 FM
5: Just a reminder as well that Riverdance Live at the Marquee is on this Sunday June 5th at 2.30pm Tickets are available at Ticketmaster.ie but we're giving away a pair of tickets here on the Opinion Line today and every day this week. All you have to do is text or WhatsApp the word Riverdance to 083 96 96 and we will be in touch with you before the end of the show if you're today's winner and speaking of life at the marquee and all things festival we had a break from festivals for a couple of years and they're back with a bang now um and one of the big things um about festivals is the fashion and to talk about it is katrina mcgettigan of fashion east in cork good morning katrina
12: Hi Fiona, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on the show. Welcome, welcome.
5: Katrina, it's great that we can go back to festivals, but uh fashions are they the same as what they've always been or is there anything new on the uh, is there anything new this year that people can um expect to wear to, f- to festivals?
12: Um there actually has been a lot of changes really since we were last seeing festivals. A huge trend although I don't really know if I should be calling it a trend. (laughs) So more as a new way of shopping is pre-loved shopping. Right. If you are new to it, there really is no better time to start than for shopping for your festival looks because who doesn't want to wear something super unique when planning their festival outfits? There's so many ways to shop pre-loved, like in vintage shops, there's a new Nine Crows just opened in the city. Mm. Charity shopping, or if you're looking for pre-loved designer items, I of course have to suggest my own business, which is luxuryexchange.ie where we have so many fabulous pieces for lots of different festival styles be a boho or glamour and there's a huge range of prices when you're shopping pre-love too I mean we've seen now with Love Island this year it used to be sponsored by more fast fashion companies and they would Mm. be wearing uh, clothing from those companies now it's being sponsored by eBay's pre-loved shopping and the contestants will be wearing pre-loved fashion so the outfits are going to be super unique and that is the way with pre-love shopping which just makes it ideal for festivals and even when we look at the trends that are really in it the moment, they do kind of, I suppose, link into vintage and pre-loved shopping. For example, one of my favourites at the moment is Western Rodeo because I just love cowboy boots and that's kind of the big trend that we've seen from that. Yeah. Um, and they're not just being worn at festivals, but depending on the pair that you have, you may or, or may not be uh, wearing them mostly for festivals because you can play it safe with a plain suede pair like the pair that I have myself. Yeah. Or you can go crazy with metallic, sequin or even neon pairs. So for this look, you can go totally vintage, like shopping from vintage shops or charity shops. Um, But if you're looking for a more glamorous version, I suppose, of the trend, a great label to look for would be Paris, Texas, which is loved by celebrities like Chrissy Teigen and Rata and they're, when you're looking for these I again totally have to push for pre-loved because they can cost over a €1,000 a pair wow. which is a lot if you're wearing it <laughs> for a festival um, yeah. but we get to, when we get them to sell on luxury exchange they are under €300 euro. you can pay for them in installments and a great thing about cowboy boots um, and why I'm obsessed with the pair I have is they're so comfy once broken in so you don't have to worry about sore feet from dancing
5: Yeah and that's the thing isn't it that comfort should be your number one priority. priority. Priority going to a festival because you are going to be on your feet. There is going to be a lot of muck and uh, rough terrain. So, you know, if you're thinking of wearing your high heels, a festival is not the place to be.
12: No, absolutely. And another trend that's great for what you were mentioning there um, about feeling comfortable is I think a lot of people when they're going to a festival, let's say that you're somebody that doesn't like to wear things that are very short or very tight. Mm. You might feel like, oh my God, I'm going to a festival, so I need to wear like leather hot pants or something. You absolutely don't. A really cool festival trend that's in at the moment for if you don't like things that feel restrictive is boho fashion. It's a great route to go down. Um not to mind your looks can be worn again if you're going on a beach holiday. So I was looking at Paris Hilton at Coachella. She wore an all white bodysuit, but then it was covered in this full length white lace skirt. It was super goddess like. Um, And if you're into colour and pattern, a great brand to look at is Rixo. They have kind of these loose, boho-esque dresses and skirts. And again, they're always propping up on the pre-loved markets. You can purchase them at a good price. Then you can resell them after your festival and they end up not costing you much at all. It's really the great beauty of circular fashion.
5: And another trend that I saw, Katrina, was uh, nylon trousers. Now, is that something that we're going to see at the festivals here in Ireland?
12: I absolutely think so. Like nylon has been in for a while now, especially with the popularity. We saw the popularity of the Prada re-edition handbag and then we see nylon starts popping up everywhere. But this year is the first time we see it really in trousers and the blog who what Wear said it's the gutsy pants trend now i think this is because we saw people like bella hadid wearing it super super low-waisted um and that can be fun to wear low-waisted with a bright color and a crop top but you don't have to go this far if you don't want to if you just purchase a plain black pair it looks really cool you can wear it a little bit high-waisted if that's what you're comfortable with with a festival themed t-shirt tucked in and some boots they're also really versatile Which is great and durable. Um, You can kind of wipe them if you get like a bit of mud on them or something. And the trend has also spread to just cool trousers in general. So, another one I think is great is a collot shape. If you don't like, we'll say, a a billowing shape, um, you could purchase a pair of collots either in denim or like a sequined pair. Uh, I think that's a great alternative as well. If you want to go for that trousers trend, but maybe you don't like the billowing shape that we Mm. are seeing in the nylon trousers.
5: Brilliant. And Katrina, um, you know, I suppose as well, one of the big things with festivals is that it allows people to maybe bring out their more creative side and push the boundaries and wear something that they wouldn't normally wear.
12: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was thinking of, you know, like what trends I'm seeing this year and everything, uh, a big one was the 70s comeback. And like, this is so cool. We saw Harry Styles at Coachella where this. Full sequin jumpsuit. Um, And that's probably what you think of when you hear 70s comeback. And that is so fun. It's so cool. Now, if you're going for the 70s look, you don't have to do that. A pair of high waisted shorts or circular glasses can add to that kind of theme as well. But what I do love about festival fashion is that people can be so creative and wear things that they may have never worn otherwise. It's just so fun and interesting to look at everybody's looks on Instagram because there's absolutely no rules. um, um, lots of people do really love to dress up and wear something amazing but look depending on your work and your lifestyle you may not get that many opportunities to pull out your best sequin jumpsuit so a festival is a perfect excuse and it really is such an amazing feeling to be wearing something you really love and feel great in it's such a confidence and mood booster and i think we're really appreciating that after the couple years we've had where maybe you haven't been exactly getting super dressed up and I think everyone's remembering again that feeling when you really feel your best and you're excited to go out and what you're wearing.
5: Nothing like it. Katrina McGettigan, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Sticking with the festival theme, uh, the Cork Midsummer Festival is something that's really enjoyed here on Leeside because of the weird and wonderful productions that it brings. Very unique productions and one that will no doubt be enjoyed by audiences this year is uh, it's, it's called the, It's from This Is Pop Baby and it's called Part scene chemsex community and crisis and to talk about it now is director and playwright Philip McMahon good morning Philip
13: hi Fiona how
5: are you I'm very well and I think the reason why I say that this is something that's going to be really enjoyed by audiences here in Cork is that when um, when we were online last year uh, you guys showed a short uh, film of this production in um, process and it you were blown away by the response. The
13: response was huge, yeah. First of all, I have to say Lorraine and the team at Cork Midsummer have supported this project from its very beginning, so it's it feels very special to be premiering it in Cork. And, of course, we're, everybody will know Marina Market and the amazing food offering there, and there's kind of a, a hangar warehouse space that we're kind of transforming for this show. So in terms of the night out, it's going to be a very special night out. But the work in progress, you know, you do these, like for anybody that, you know, is not au fait with how the theater processes work you do a work in progress which is like a kind of a you show a little bit of what you're up to and generally 30 or 40 people come and they say oh you know fabulous darling well done yeah. uh, but, but we, mo- we moved it online because of covid and so we made this film and it was 30 minutes of work in progress and two and a half thousand people watched it in 48 hours on the Cork midsummer website wow. so it was kind of like oh we're onto something special here this is a very like our, our starting point for this piece is a very niche subject, right? Yeah. Chemsex. People will not know a lot about that, but you got a real sense from the work in progress that people were really interested in learning and hearing more. And especially mm. because I think that, like, we're talking about the queer community, right? We're talking about the LGBTQ+, and it is Pride Month. And I guess there is a sense, there's a feeling post-marriage equality in Ireland, and post-marriage equality around the world will look the gays are fixed, the queers are fixed, you know? And what we're kind of doing is we're kind of going, well look, we're looking at different corners of a marginalized community and saying, look, there is still trauma there. There, there are themes around addiction and, uh, and who's not okay, you know? And so that was kind of our starting point. But with this show, you're gonna get a high octane dance theater, clubbing experience that's going to raise some um, interesting and sensitive and difficult questions.
5: And when you say we, you work it's a collaboration between yourself and choreographer Philip Connachton. So where did yeah. this whole idea come from?
13: I guess it came from within our own community that we were looking at, you know, I, I guess with This Is Pop Baby, I have a 15 year history of kind of delving into club culture, queer culture, counterculture. And for me, like watching Friends specifically, but also watching um, pals, community members go through a lot of crap with um, around kind of about chemisex which is prolonged use of drugs for sex, mm. um, and just just in that world, in that community, um, a lot of people find there's a lot of pleasure. I think that for people that generally have had, you know. Basically, people find it, drugs and sex is a tale as old as time, right? So yeah. people find great freedom there. But I think as drugs change, as things like crystal meth and GHB enter Ireland, you're kind of seeing uh, people that are kind of facing difficulties. And so there's there's issues around addiction. There's people, yeah. there's issues around people losing a lot in their lives. And actually in some cases, and it's becoming more frequent, people are dying in the queer community and I think we have to take responsibility for each other and say look, do we have a problem here and and, and how can we show up for each other
5: And Philip, you spoke there about the huge interest in the Cork audience and I know that um, the whole chemsex that there's a lot of this going on in Cork and I'm sure a lot of people are curious about the lifestyle and how it all fits together which could explain why you had such a reaction to that little film that you showed last year
13: Yeah, I think like this is island wide right and it like and obviously like beyond but of course it it is kind of like it focuses in our cities and it's just, look it's really important to say that what we're not looking to do is perpetuate stigma like if people are going through um difficult situations you don't want to add to that but mm. a, a piece of art might be able to show up and say people may be able to if they're going through something may be able to um look for help because of that or people may be able to access the subject matter because they saw a piece of art around it um, but in all of our cities i think that you're seeing kind of the, the the rise of the kind of drugs and actually it's really interesting because in the straight community uh, 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 a pal who runs clubs are saying that actually these this is not just a a, a queer issue anymore mm. that these that the kind of the issues are kind of countrywide for everybody
8: you know
5: so with party scene chemsex community and crisis is this a play then that if people are going to watch it that they're going to find out all about the the this chemsex culture uh, what people enjoy about it and but also about the downsides
13: I think that' like we've been approaching it I think a piece of art is like a response isn't it rather yeah. than like this is not a this is not a PSA it's not a kind of a a moral tale it's not a kind of a don't take drugs kids it's trying to kind of represent the feeling the highs and the lows of being inside and i think that what it will do is you will probably leave going well i want to know more so i'm going to go and i'm going to find out i'm going to google i'm going to go and look at what services are available but we're not i guess it's not an educational piece in 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 that sense but i think yeah. that what we do offer is like i think if you're not used to seeing dance particularly if you kind of think oh god a dance show yeah. this is a really good access point to that it's a high, you know, it's a techno club infused roller coaster ride from start to finish in an hour. So is there techno hour, you know?
5: music for the full hour then? <laughs> <laughs> well,
13: if I say yes, I might encourage some people. And if I say no, I might discourage some people. There's there's a, there's a there's an incredible soundtrack uh, by a sound designer called Frank Sweeney, who's, who's worked a lot in Cork. And, uh, and of course, people, uh, theatre-goers in Cork will know Philip Connington a lot from, mm. his, from his solo work that he does down there. Um, but, yeah, sorry to answer your question, there is a wonderful clubbing, you know, visceral uh, soundtrack.
5: Fantastic. And I can imagine that that's really going to come to life in the Warehouse Marina Market.
13: This space is incredible. We we went with the team at Cork Midsummer, and they opened the doors to this place and I went well, I want to put a show on it here. I want to be in a show in that space. Um, and so, and you know, the food offering is an added bonus. And that walk down to Marina Market, where you kind of feel like, well, we're going on, it's it's kind of like this gorgeous wonderland that you're yeah. kind of wandering into down the docks. So um, I'm thrilled about that. So we're making this show for that space. Um, so, so it's very exciting for us.
5: And you said that it's, um, it's, it's premiering in Cork, so um, is, will the Cork audience be the first to get to watch this?
13: Absolutely, yeah. Um, first to see the work in progress and the first to watch the live show.
5: Fantastic. So it's been
13: an, it's been an amazing journey from work in progress to this. So, yeah. Uh, uh, thrilled that we're premiering in Cork. We've been dying to premiere something in Cork for a couple <laughs> of years and then this came along and so we are there with bells on.
5: Fabulous and I'm sure there's plenty of people who are listening this morning who are dying to go and see it Um, So when? what night is it on, Philip?
13: oh god now you're out I should have had these details ready it is on (laughs)
5: Wednesday, Thursday and Friday
13: of the festival which I believe is the 15th 16th and
5: 17th yeah fantastic so um, Warehouse Marina
13: three three shows only we're going to rack them and stack them and pack them in
5: (laughs) fantastic (laughs) I'm really looking forward to that can't wait now it's going to be brilliant yeah me too well, listen, I'm sure we'll meet up with you now when you come down to Cork and best of luck with it. The, the, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you've ever been at the Midsummer Festival itself, um, but it's, a, it's an amazing festival. As I said at the start there, a huge amount of unique, creative productions and your one is definitely going to draw an audience, I'm sure.
13: Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Fiona.
5: Brilliant, Philip. Thank you so much for that. That was Philip McMahon and himself, and Philip Connaughton have put together this amazing um, dance play called Party Scene: Chemsex, Community, and Crisis.
3: Can we just talk? Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
0: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can
3: we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text
5: or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 96
3: 96 96. on courts 96FM.
5: Now if you're a fan of folk and traditional music then you're in for a treat because the Three Rivers Rising Festival is coming to St. Luke's Cross on June 10th and 11th and it's going to be bringing a load of concerts and free shows to Saint live at St. Luke's, Hensheys and the Wine Tavern and it's all organised by the Good River. In association with the Cork City Council Arts Office. And to talk about it now is Joe Kelly. Good morning, Joe.
14: Hi, Fiona. How are you?
5: I'm great. Joe, this um, sounds like a great festival for anyone who is a fan of folk and traditional music. But for anyone who isn't a fan um, or who doesn't really know about it, would you, um, you know, I'm sure it's a great way of getting into this kind of music.
14: Yes. I mean, it, basically, it's great as well. And thanks to Catherine Martin, I can't even say the department, but it was the government and Cork City Arts Department that, um, you know, helped fund this. But mm. the great thing is that all the acts are from are living in Cork. The only one not living is Earlo Leonard, but he's obviously from Kool-Aid, that neck of the woods. Yeah. So all the acts on the bill are from Cork, and I suppose that's where we came up with the name. We didn't want to say, you know, Red, Red Folk Festival or Rebel or whatever. And we were like, how do you say that? And we di- I didn't actually know, but uh, Keelan, who works with us, came up with the Three Rivers idea that the Blackwater, the Lee and the Bandon do more or less cover the whole of the county. And we were like, oh, that's very interesting. And obviously the imagery we're using is the Ghira down in McCroom as well. So mm. it's, as you say, it's a really interesting um, broad overview of what folk and traditional music. So like on the Friday night, Earload Leonard and Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy's is this brilliant composer. Um and he, as someone said to me, he's as brilliant at trad music as he is at jazz. So that would be very interesting. Then locals Karen Casey, Niall Valdi, and Quievin Valdi—they all live up around Montanati, um, with uh, two of their buddies playing along, that would be lovely. And poet Julie Goo, and um, if and and all the great thing as well is. The Friday night and Saturday night concerts are only 15 euros a ticket. So if you're really just like, I'm not sure, just go and see something. And the afternoon show, which is excellent as well, with Jackie Daly and Matty Cranich. Matt Cranich from Schlieve Lucre area of North Cork. Um, Jimmy Crowley, the legendary Jimmy Crowley actually from Cork. And his um, partner Eve Telford. And then we've got from down in the Musgrave Gale, we've Nelny Cronin, who's a Shannos, beautiful Shannos singer. That is a free concert on Saturday afternoon. So if anyone wants to go along, just come along. The doors are at 1.30. It'll be over at 4.00 and, um, you know, you get to see whatever. And then on the Saturday night, we've John Splann. There's He you know, needs no introduction. Yes. Ono Rievig, who is a piper and he makes pipes. And he's based out there uh, out past Inishcara. Um then Trollfodine, which would be kind of experimental trad, and then Les Salamandes there from Ballydehob, neck of the woods. So ah, yeah, really we had the them whole on the show actually
5: is, one day and they were they were great, yeah. Yeah. So really what we're trying to say
14: is in Cork City County we've this plethora of top acts and there were some that we that weren't available as well so you know we could possibly do this again with a whole different list of acts we're so um And Joe uh, it's great that you
5: have these free gigs and that you're giving back to the community as well, it's brilliant, well done
14: Yeah I mean being honest with you when we came up with the name myself and Ed years ago live at St Luke's it actually meant the area because um, you know as much as the venue which is known as you know the former mm. um, Church of Ireland church um, so it really was. And it's lovely to have the wine tavern. And, you know, Declan and Sean there kindly are opening early for us. And then obviously Henchies with Mark and uh, mm-hmm. Paddy. And just to, you know, I'm curious to listen to Jimmy Crowley talk about. I mean, I remember speaking to him before and he was telling me that in what is now the Montanati Hotel, there was a folk club there in the late 60s where, Christy moore and all these people played so we really do true great things like cork folk festival the Spalpeen fawnock you know back in the day the lobby we have mm. this great lineage of music that has always been there like the corner house as well you know and um this goes on week in week out but uh, it's nice to put it on a bill together because there's some excellent singers and musicians playing, you know.
5: There really is and I think folk is having, um, do you know, I think like that the younger generation now are becoming really interested in it and you see a lot of them on TikTok using folk in their in their videos as backing tracks. Wow,
14: well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, I'm, my daughter's 13 and like, she'd play a song on Spotify and I'd be like, "What? what, what how do you know that song? <laughs> oh, TikTok. And yeah. then the other day she was singing Running Up That Hill by um, Kate Bush. How do you know that stranger thing? So how yeah. people find music is very interesting. But absolutely, like when you go back, Jimmy Crowley, early 70s with Stoker's Lodge, uh, Emmett O'Revig played in a later version of Stoker's Lodge. Or sorry, not Emmett own. his dad. But what I'm saying is that like that Jimmy Crowley's first album, it's about 1973 or something, is an amazing album. So if you've never listened to it, Jimmy Crowley and Stoker's Lodge, have a listen to it. And like you will find the likes of the bones of 40, 40 something years later, the likes Mm -hmm. of Lancome, who are now touring all over the world, were on Jules Holland, all that like they're citing Jimmy Crowley, then Skippers, <laughs> Alley, another Dublin band. Yeah. They're citing Jimmy Crowley. And, you know, so sometimes we have these people here on our doorsteps and we don't realise how important in both a musical and historical way. So I suppose going back to Three Rivers Rising, that's what we're trying to communicate is that, look, there's some great stuff in the city and county, and if you do nothing else, come to St. Luke's, come to the wine bar, come to Henchies, come over, have a drink afterwards go to the free gig in the concert or sorry in the afternoon and just after the free gig there's Jimmy Crowley's talking in uh, the wine it. bar and the next day and then we've a beautiful Brilliant. band actually Joe, well, I have to sorry,
5: Just because uh, I'm yeah. stuck for time here but listen if anybody wants to go to that it's on June 10th and June the 11th and they can get more information online. That was Joe Kelly, organiser of the Three Rivers Rising um, at St Luke's. Thank you so much for that Joe. Now the winner of the Riverdance tickets today is Emma Louise Kelleher from Book Lawn in Cove thank you very much and enjoy that um, Emma and if you missed any of today's show you can catch it on the podcast on 96fm.ie and as I said if you have any stories you'd like us to cover you can email opinion at 96fm.ie that's my lot for today thanks to the team for helping me out here today talk to you tomorrow Can we
3: just talk? opinion line on Cork's 96 FM
0: with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.